Hello and welcome back to the Rare Possessions Podcast. This is your host, Nick Galetti, and with me is Jared Riddick. Glad to be back after a nice hiatus. We had a little bit of a break, and for those of you that just started listening to us because of the uh, presentation we did of Joseph and Moroni, we want to say welcome. Thank you for listening. We had a really nice response to that, but uh, we want to bring your attention to a couple of the other things that we've done in the past just to make sure that you know what we've done and uh, go check that out too. We did a we started out this podcast about 10 months ago if you I know it's didn't it's flown by it's a kind of kind of gone by pretty fast but uh we started off with The Life of Nephi Son of Lehi by uh by our good friend and uh regular regular uh, contributor, contributor President George Q Cannon <laughs> President George Q Cannon he uh he definitely makes makes a few appearances on our podcast but that was Kind of a test run for us because we went through about, what was that, 21, 21 episodes. episodes? Yeah, that's pretty good. We have not had anything that ambitious since. <laughs> since. We've been going a little shorter. We had things on uh, the, is it the 1916 or 1906 revelation? I can't remember. On the Father and the Son. That was the, the first presidency statement on that. Letter to the Queen of England by Parley P. Pratt. And it's funny because today's episode is going to be, a, it feels a little uh, like that. Yeah, it's, it's also European related. Yeah, it's kind of a, a Latter-day Saint somehow bringing in world history as it ties to the flooding of the earth, if you will, with the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Um, but please go back and check out some of these previous episodes. We've, we've gone through, again, that book, Joseph and Moroni, that was good, and a whole bunch of other things, including some tributes to scholars that have passed on. Uh, that we have honored with with different episodes. But this particular one is an an interesting one that uh, was an article published in the the Latter-day Saints Millennial Star. Which was later later shortened to the Millennial Star, colloquially at least. Yeah, so this was published in 1880, written by George C. Ferguson, which we don't have a whole lot of information about. We didn't come up with a lot about him. If any of our listeners know anything about him, or even better, or maybe descended from him, which would be amazing. Wow, that'd be great. Reach out to us. Um, but he seems to have been a regular writer and contributor to the Millennial Star. And this article, if you don't mind me popping in for this, is Jump called in. The Book of Mormon and Napoleon III. And we know what m- many people may be thinking, that there was more than one Napoleon uh, to start <laughs> off. Not the short one. Not the short one. Who actually wasn't that short. Yeah, uh, no, it's just the running gag. Yeah, it's like five, I think it was five seven, which is actually taller than me. Um... <laughs> But this is a rather, in, in my opinion at least, unique and bold application of relatively current events at that point to prophecies tied into the Book of Mormon. Yeah, and we, we do know that he goes by Elder George C. Ferguson. So probably a 70 or a missionary himself. Yeah, something like that. Um, so in this case, it's October 1880, and it references some stuff in church history that I didn't know about, to be honest. I these next couple of episodes are actually going over things that I think are really unique and cool and and rare. That's why, of course, we're bringing it out. But in uh, what what time would you say that a, a copy of the Book of Mormon was presented? Uh, about eighteen fifty-two, I believe. Okay, eighteen fifty-two. Uh, a copy right of the, the Book beginning of, Mormon of was, his was brought by John right. Taylor. John Taylor and two others. Uh, let me get their names really quick. John Taylor, Curtis E. Bolton, and John Pack presented a French edition of the Book of Mormon to Emperor Napoleon III. And they... they We don't know this, if that was done personally or through a court intermediary. Sure, but it was he was given one. Mm-hmm. And here again, we have an example of... Because I think Parley Pratt's was, you know, an attempt to try and show the Book of Mormon as a relevant record to the Queen. 
mm-hmm. of England in his I believe time. Lorenzo Snow had actually given right. a copy of the Book of Mormon to the So Queen. here we're, we're seeing these early Latter-day Saints essentially give a lot of uh, correlation, maybe even causation, between the adherence of world leaders to the Book of Mormon and their success mm-hmm. as a world leader. Um, in this particular case, this article goes on to say that uh, Napoleon suffered great losses because he ignored the Book of Mormon. And that's a bold statement. And I, I, I partially agree with it. I don't know say that ignoring the Book of Mormon because I, I, I doubt whether he actually ever got it himself. But certainly because of the prophecies foretold in the Book of Mormon, I don't think he was going to see the success that he sought for in the Americas. Well, let's give some political history there. Mm-hmm. Where did Napoleon III come into the picture here? Um, he was the nephew of Napoleon. Um, of the Napoleon. Of the Napoleon. <laughs> um, had some brief memories of his uncle uh, and his success, but lived largely in exile most of his life. He had a couple of coup attempts in France that, were, that went very poorly for him. But during the revolution of eighteen, the revolutions in eighteen forty-eight in Europe, he managed to use that to move into France and to assume power. Um, well, he was elected, but he uh, yeah. he was an opportunist in that yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. And so he did that, moved forward, and um, had a lot of reforms that he planned. That readers, if they're interested, uh, there's many good biographies of him out there. But in the eighteen sixties, he saw an opening. Uh, the American Civil War was going on, and uh, America was distracted. The Monroe Doctrine could not be uh, adequately defended, which was that no European power would have um, authority or a place on the continents and uh, this land and the Americas. And so he moved in with French troops to try and seize power and overthrow the government of Mexico and uh, got some help from some radicals in Mexico. Uh, set up Maximilian, an Austrian noble, uh, to be the you could say emperor of Mexico, the leader of new, new leader of Mexico. Uh, their group was very tenuous, and they were shortly after the defeated. Maximilian was Maximilian. Several of his generals were executed uh, by Mexican troops, and shortly thereafter, you saw Napoleon III's own fall from power in France. And you may be asking, how does this tie in? Right, it's great world history, by the way. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, and there's actually a really good book called "The Cause of All Nations" by Don H. Doyle. Um, it's an international history of the American Civil War. Because of that, they go in quite. a quite in detail in one of the essays in the book about uh, this attempt by Maximilian and Napoleon III to establish a new French empire uh, in the new world. So worth checking out. Yeah. But in the Book of Mormon, we know that it states by prophecy that no king shall be raised up to the Gentiles upon the land. And Elder Ferguson takes this and runs with it. Well, and we will have in a future episode some further discussion on this very subject again. Mm -hmm. But uh, for the sake of this episode... It's not a very long article. No, it's um, relatively short. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into it and uh, give a reading of this article again from Elder George C. Ferguson entitled Book of Mormon and Napoleon III. Enjoy. Book of Mormon and Napoleon III, published in October 1880 in the Latter-day Saints Millennial Star Magazine, written by George C. Ferguson. The Book of Mormon is a divine record that was hid up in the earth by God's command, expressly to be brought forth as a blessing to the people of the last days. The believer who is thoroughly versed in its contents has, in many things, an advantage over those who slight, misrepresent, or fight against it. There is much to be gained by its study. 
It contains the fullness of the gospel of Christ. It gives keys by which we may understand the general purposes of God, as touching the last days, and reveals some special institutions of heaven that are important even in a temporal point of view. The plan of salvation with its doctrines, ordinance, and priesthood was but little known in the latter times before the publication of this book, and many who now oppose will ere long prize it as one of God's best gifts to man. Not only the commonality, but scientists, ministers of state, kings and emperors, would do well to read and ponder its revelations. It would bring them joy and profit, while the neglect of this message from God will entail humiliation and ruin. I will gather at the history of the third emperor Napoleon and try to show wherein he suffered loss by ignoring the sacred record and slighting the labors of God's servants who were sent specifically to counsel him and the French nation and warn them of God's purposes. Leaving the emperor's early life, I shall deal with the stirring events of his riper years. He escaped from his prison in the fortress of Ham in May 1846 and was in exile till the revolution of 1848 gave him an opportunity of returning to France. By offering his services to his country and swearing fidelity to the republic, he was elected president. Very soon after, he had to quell an insurrection in Paris and did it after the manner of his uncle whose maxim was that every man in this world had to conquer a position, and, said he, I have conquered mine as the cannonball does. So much the worse for those who stood in my way. Having stamped out insurrection at home, the executive of the French Republic sent an army to crush the Republic at Rome and reinstate the Pope, which, being duly performed, Napoleon found the French National Assembly quite refractory and dissolved it on the 2nd of December, 1852, assuming the position of dictator. The next step was to get elected President of the French Republic for ten years, and he entered the Tuileries in this capacity on New Year's Day, 1852. A new constitution for France was the next move, and, as a cannonball does its work rapidly, we are not surprised to find the empire established in November of the same year, with Napoleon at its head. Being now an emperor, he became friendly with other monarchies, and in 1854 formed an alliance with England and Turkey to sustain the latter in its war with Russia about the holy places. Russia was beaten, and Napoleon came out of the struggle with considerable eclat. He also escaped the assassins Orsini and Pieri, who shortly afterwards attempted his life. His next achievement was to whip Austria, for which he received Savoy and Nice. Napoleon's boast used to be that France was the only nation that would go to war for an idea. What may have been the idea that impelled him, in 1861, to interfere in Mexican affairs, I know not. Probably as his uncle had been a kingmaker, he thought he would follow suit, but France had not previously been happy in Mexican squabbles. She blockaded Veracruz in 1838, and was driven off by Santa Anna. By this, as it may, the emperor in this thing made a big blunder. He made up his mind to place Maximilian, Grand Duke of Austria, on the throne of Montezuma, and sent an army to Mexico for that purpose. That army encountered the Mexicans at Fort Guadalupe, May 5, 1862, and got beaten. It was again defeated by the Mexicans at Orsaba on May 18th. What was the matter? From the days of the coup d'etat, 
when the drunken soldiery are said to have shot down citizens on the boulevards of Paris for mere sport, right down through the battles of Crimea at Alma, Balaklava, Inkerman, Chernaya, Kars, etc., and the battles of the Austrian campaign in Italy, Montebello, Palestro, Magenta, and Solferino, and even at this same time in Cochin, China, the French army had been uniformly successful. How came it to pass that the holy bayonets of France were powerless? How came the imperial tricolor to be trailed in the mud by a handful of Mexicans, a prostrate yet restless race, who had not been able to set up stable government for many years, nearly a million of whose fathers had been massacred and the whole of Mexico plundered, ravished and enslaved by Cortez and a few hundred Spanish adventurers from Cuba? Ah, there is a providence that shapes our ends, rough-hew them as we may. The only way to make sure that providence will not thwart our designs or blast our work is to make sure that the work is in harmony with the designs of providence. If we are threatened or opposed by some inferior power, courage and hard fighting may be of use. But if providence be our foe, or on the side of our foes, then oh how pitiful are our best efforts. Had Napoleon been superficially acquainted with the Book of Mormon, which was taken to him and the French people by the messengers of God, but which he was too great a man to respect or attend to, he would have known that Mexico was not a place wherein to set up kings. That book speaks of the American continent as the land of Zion, and in the second book of Nephi, 7th chapter, 2nd verse, page 73, French edition, or 77th page, English edition, it says, And this shall be a land of liberty to the Gentiles, and there shall be no king upon the land, who shall raise up unto the Gentiles. And I will fortify this land against all other nations, and he that fighteth against Zion shall perish, saith God. For he that raiseth up a king against me shall perish. For I, the Lord, the King of heaven, will be their king, etc. Very likely the emperor had no idea that he was running in the teeth of providence in this affair. But that was his fault. Elders John Taylor, Curtis E. Bolton, and John Pack traveled 7,000 miles to enlighten him on the general purposes of God, as contained in the Book of Mormon, translated into French, and published it in Paris in 1852. But their labors were treated with contempt, and finally, they were absolutely prohibited from either meeting, speaking, or writing on the subject of quote-unquote Mormonism. But to resume the history, a battle was fought June 14th at Cerro de Borgo, the Mexicans losing, and on May 17, 1863, the French took Veracruz. They also captured Pueblo. A council of nobles was held July 10th, and Maximilian was accepted as emperor, but the liberals would have none of him. This brought on a civil war. The imperialist party being assisted by the French, several encounters took place, with varying success, till on the 15th of May, 1867, the imperial army surrendered at Querétaro. Maximilian and Miramon were both captured and shot on the 19th of June following. In September of the same year, Juarez was re-elected president. The execution of her husband deprived Carlotta, Maximilian's wife, of her reason and thus ended Napoleon's effort at kingmaking in Mexico. But not so did his troubles end. The sentence, Ye shall perish, was now written on the pages of his future, and though the French Empire was still a mighty power in Europe, the end was drawing nigh. 
it might here be objected that England still holds Canada and that Brazil has an emperor. I would say in reply that Canada, although an English colony, has its own government and House of Representatives and cannot be called a monarchy. As to Brazil, John VI of Portugal founded its monarchy in 1815 and returned to Portugal in 1820, leaving his son Don Pedro constitutional emperor. No elders or messengers were sent warning either England or Portugal of this institution, for the Book of Mormon was not translated by divine power until 1829. Consequently, there was no raising up of kings in either case against the Lord, for he had not yet spoken. To bring this article to a close, we skip nearly three years and come down to 1870, when Spain offered its crown to Prince Leopold of Prussia. Napoleon made this a basis for war with the latter nation and declared war on July 19th. He took command himself and beat the Prussians at Saarbrücken, August 2nd. That was the last Bonapartist victory. The other battles of this war followed in rapid succession, the French being defeated every time. Worth and Forbach, August 6th. Carcellus, 14th. Vianville, 16th. Gravelette, 18th. Siege of Metz began the 19th. Bazaine surrendered October 29th. Battle of Sedan, September 1st. The emperor surrendered to William next day and was sent a prisoner to Germany. The empress escaped from Paris September 7th. Paris, having revolted, proclaimed a republic and founded a provisional government. Paris was invested by the Germans on September 21st. Strasbourg surrendered to the Germans September 27th, but it is needless to pursue this subject further. All the world stood aghast at the disgrace and humiliation that swept over France like a thundercloud. Napoleon died in exile in England, and his poor son, who, according to the emperor's telegram to Eugene after the affair at Saarbrücken, had there received his baptism of fire, was slain by the Zulus in South Africa a short time ago. Thus utterly perished from the earth a man whose fate would have been far otherwise had he not treated with contempt a message sent for his guidance by the God of heaven. There are general laws of heaven which men break, and the punishment, though sure, sometimes follows slowly. There are also special institutions, the breach or non-observance of which brings punishment at once. I will now conclude with an anecdote. A quote-unquote Mormon missionary laboring in Mexico baptized a young man who had been brought up a Catholic. His father was extremely annoyed at him for changing his religion and undertook to show that quote-unquote Mormonism was all nonsense. This led to a discussion which lasted between them three days. The young man, being pretty well informed, still held his own at the close of the debate. The father sat very thoughtfully some minutes and then said to his son, I will tell you something. There is a very ancient tradition among our people that says a white race would come to Mexico and murder a great many of our race, devastate and plunder the country and enslave the remaining inhabitants, and that, after a long time, would overcome these whites and assert our independence, and finally, that another white race would come and bring to us a knowledge of the God and worship of our forefathers. Now we know the first tradition was fulfilled when Cortez came with his Spaniards, and I believe the second came to pass when we broke up the nunneries and shot Maximilian. And who knows, but these quote-unquote Mormons may be the other white race that is to bring back our ancient religion. They are even that very race. 
Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions Podcast. This has been a presentation of Book of Mormon Central. You can find this and other items in our archive online at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org. Tune in every week for another episode of the Rare Possessions Podcast.